The Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We pray you find this resource edifying, faithful to Scripture, and Christ-exalting. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Jimmy Johnson here, recording solo at the request of my other co-host. In this episode, I'm going to be talking mainly about what we call progressive sanctification. And to begin a discussion on that subject, I want to read from the Baptist Catechism, question 38. It says, what is sanctification? The answer, sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. So when we begin to think about this work of sanctification, one of the things that we must first understand, as with every aspect of our salvation, is that ultimately it is a work of God that comes to us by grace through our union with his son, Jesus. It is our union with Christ that is the ground for our progressive growing in holiness and for our progressive ability to die more unto sin than we previously were. In the work of sanctification, God is renewing in us what was lost in the fall and what has been renewed in Christ. Now, with that being said, having that in the background of our mind, there are things that we must understand about progressive sanctification and understand how we secondarily are are to act in this process of our sanctification. And it includes two elements. When thinking about our progressive sanctification, it, it requires that we have a confident considering. And by that, I mean that we, as saints in Christ, must consider ourselves to be so. We must, by faith, believe that Christ has truly, by his person and work, cut us off from the dominion of sin, and now, because of him, we are alive to God. We, we see this in Romans 6, verse 11, when Paul commands us, he says, So also you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. We see it again in verse 14 of chapter 13 of that very same book, when we are commanded, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And even in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, we, we read, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. We are to have minds and thoughts that are like the very thoughts and mind of Christ. We are to consider ourselves, because of what Jesus has done, 
as holy, set apart for God's purposes, and seek in gratitude to live a life that honors Him. Romans 6.14 reminds us that we indeed are dead to sin. Verse 14 of Romans 6 says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Because of our union with Christ, we no longer are under the law as a way, by way of covenant. The law is still our rule to life, but the law is no longer the, the basis of the covenant in which we are now a part of. Instead, we are under the covenant of grace through what Jesus has done on our behalf. Also, Romans 7, 4 through 6, we read, Likewise, my brothers, you, have, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to one another or belong to one another to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Going on, he says, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not of the old way written in code. So if we desire to grow in holiness, we must have a confident considering of who we are in Christ. We have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer us who live, but it is Christ who lives in us. And the life we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. We are a new creature in Christ. And just as his righteousness was imputed to us in our justification. His holiness, his, his holiness is being infused into us by an operation of the Holy Spirit. And we cooperate in that process. We are not the, the primary agent of that process, but we cooperate in that process by exercising our faith in Jesus and trusting that he has actually accomplished accomplish our true and our full salvation. But in addition to this idea of considering who we are in Christ, we must also strive after holiness. We have, must have a strenuous striving. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 is probably the most clear example of this. Paul writes, therefore, my beloved, as you always obeyed, not or as you always obeyed, so now, not, at, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do, or both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we have a combination here. First, Paul charges us to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, to make diligent effort toward an end of being holy. 
and pleasing our God. And the motivation for this is recognizing something that is true, that God is the one who is at work in us and empowering us to do so. Moreover, we are reminded throughout Scripture that we are new creatures, as I've referred to on multiple occasions already. Ephesians 4, we are told in verses 22 through 25 to put off the old self. He says to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So we are to act in holiness and and to strive greatly because the old man, the sinful man, has been replaced by Christ's active work in our lives with the new man. Also, our striving should consider the ordinary means of grace. The Baptist Catechism in question 93 asks, what are the outward means whereby Christ communicateth to us the benefits of our redemption? The answer is the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicateth to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinary or are his ordinances, especially the word, baptism, and the Lord's Supper, and prayer, all which means are made effectual unto the elect for salvation. In Acts 2.42, we have an example of an early meeting of the New Testament church in Jerusalem. It says in verse 42 of chapter 2, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. In here, we have the ministry of the word. We have at least one of the ordinances in the breaking of bread representing the Lord's Supper. And moreover, we have an example of corporate prayer. And of course, preceding this passage, we have those first believers who profess faith in Christ after the preaching of Peter. They are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we jump down to verse 47 of chapter 2, and we read, talking of these folks, praising God and having favor with all people. And then it says what the Lord does through all this activity, through these ordinary means. It says, and the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. So the ordinary means have a pivotal role in our growing in holiness. And we should seek to strive to participate in such means, meaning gathering with the saints, hearing the word preached, praying together with the saints, observing baptism, as well as the regular and repeated ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Moreover, in growing in holiness, our striving should include both planning and avoidance of those things which would draw us away from our God, those sins which so easily entangle us. Romans 13, 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We should be diligent to live in such a way that we do not 
put ourselves in dangerous situations where we would grieve the Holy Spirit and act in a way that does not accord with our new identity in Christ. Our striving after holiness should also include things like learning. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2, we, you likely know this. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, or as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed through the renewal or by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Elsewhere, Paul reminds Timothy to be devoted to the sacred scriptures, which are able to make him and anyone wise unto salvation. And he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. To grow in holiness, we must give ourselves to the Word of God, both in being publicly devoted to it, by sitting under the preaching, as I alluded to before, but also by being privately devoted to it, by reading it and studying it and meditating upon it, even when we are away from the gathered congregation. Now, Paul is talking to Timothy about ministry and how the word will make him ready and fit for that. But I believe it can easily be, an application of that passage can easily be broadened to apply to life in general. So we should learn and we should mainly learn from the word of God if we are seeking to progress in holiness. And I already alluded to this before in talking about the ordinary means of grace, but we should also, or we should include in our striving, striving after holiness, the regular gathering of the people of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 it says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The saints, the gathered saints, and the, the mutual encouragement that takes place in the gathering is utilized by God to grow us in holiness, and we should be seek to be instruments in the hands of our Redeemer to further not only our own holiness, but also the holiness of our fellow church members and fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Our striving should also include watching and praying. Matthew 26, 41, Jesus tells his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Temptations abound, and we must be on guard. 
And some temptation is too strong. In fact, much temptation is too strong for us to handle on our own. Therefore, we must be diligent in our watching, but we also must be diligent in our praying and seeking God's help and seeking his guidance to overcome temptations as they come our way. And going back to what I said earlier, talking about the word in Second Timothy, we should intake the scriptures regularly. I can't emphasize that enough. Jesus, when praying his high priestly prayer, he, he requests from his father, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. In Psalm 1, we are reminded that the main difference between the blessed man and the wicked man is that the blessed man is intimately and regularly meditating upon the word of God. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So progressive holiness is our being more and more enabled to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Primary, the primary and the first cause of our sanctification is God. It is the free grace of God working in us by his spirit and word, making us more holy. Secondarily, we are called to join in this not as an act of synergistic, us doing half the work, him doing half the work, but we are called to join in this through both confident considering and strenuous striving. We must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, and we must work out our salvation with fear and trembling because we understand our all-wise and all-powerful God is at work in us to will and to do his good pleasure. So may God bless each and every one of you as you endeavor to walk in holiness and remember the source and the power of your holiness does not come from within you, nor does it come through you working, but it comes ultimately through your union with Christ. So look to Christ walk in holiness, confess when you fail, trust him always, and your Redeemer Jesus, he will get you all the way unto the end. And that concludes this episode on progressive sanctification. To all our listeners, we at Covenant Podcast, but particularly me, wish you both grace and peace. 
For additional content, check out our blog ministry at covenantconfessions.com. Also, keep up with our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Next, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Lastly, thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.